Welcome to The Pillars, the podcast of the 363rd ISR Wing of the United States Air Force. I'm Chaplain Jim Bridgham. I'm Dr. Jerry Walker. And I'm Reed Reichwald. And we're here, like every week, to offer you some skills, some thoughts, some concepts to help you win your day. And like our wing full of lions, we want you to begin your day with a roar to win. So our roar today, our focus is going to be on our new doctor. And yes, that was a terrible intro, but we're going to stick with it. So <laughs> Dr. Reichwald, you're our new psychologist, our new Surgeon General for our wing. We want to welcome you. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate you guys bringing me on the podcast, although I think you were compelled to at some point or another introduce a new teammate. But nonetheless, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to be here. It was a struggle. And, and I know your introduction to the wing with one of the first five minutes of Thrive that you wrote was on... Um, uh, introversion and uh, right. loneliness and you tend to be more of an introverted guy I am whereas I would say compared to Jim who's an extremely extroverted guy um, there's a bit of a, a clash there but I, I think you've melded well with our team so far oh thanks I, I, I do appreciate that yeah uh, introversion is one of those things that sort of as a topic is kind of near and dear to my heart and in some ways I think as a psychologist working in an operational community, maybe Intel is a, a good landing place for me because I feel like a lot of the folks that we work with uh, may have similar personality traits and, and you find a lot of psychologists as well mm -hmm. who are introverted. And you make up so much, uh, you do so much of the heavy lifting for me <laughs> that I hardly ever have to talk. <laughs> you just really have to shake your head when I'm talking, so that oh. works great. So I wanna start with a softball question. Thank you. What did you have for breakfast today? Thank you for that softball question, yeah. Uh, you know, it's you're not gonna like my answer, and I know I'm pretty judgy of your protein bars, but I don't uh, I don't typically have breakfast. So okay. usually I'll have black coffee between, uh, you know, I'll usually have my first cup somewhere around nine o'clock, and then uh, I typically don't do any kind of food until around lunchtime. So okay, do you, do you have any preference of coffee? Is it a specific type of black coffee? Um, the cheapest that I can find <laughs> generally, it. yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not snobbish. Uh, whatever anyone is willing to make for me, even better. Uh, but, uh, you know, whatever I can get my hands on. Okay, so now we're going to move from the softball to maybe some, I don't know, some facts that people can get to oh know gosh, you about. Okay. So you're a psychologist. I am. Why did you get into psychology? Boy, you know, that's a, that's a good question. Um, and one that I think we've probably had to answer at multiple points during mm -hmm. our career. I think with a lot of things, and I don't think this is unique to psychology, but I think um, having some kind of desire to help other people is, is usually a good starting place. Um, so, you know, I think, I think like a lot of people, uh, that's where I started. I feel like uh, uh, people have always been interesting to me. You know, I, I'm a firm believer that everyone has a story. You know, whether that's worthy of broadcasting, like in this case, I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to be one of your more interesting interview subjects. But I do think that everyone has a story or a narrative, uh, to use another word, that, we, that kind of guides how we look at the world, how we see people, mm -hmm. um, how we interact, uh, how we see our futures. And I think uh, coming to understand people's stories and why they tell themselves what they tell themselves about themselves and about other people often informs the way that they kind of go through life and the experiences that they have. And uh, those can be very powerful narratives. And sometimes uh, they're inspiring and they lead people to inspiring things. And sometimes, occasionally, they lead people to despair. And, uh, and, I, and I like listening to people's stories. I think people are infinitely interesting. And uh, so maybe, I, not surprisingly, I sort of found my way uh, toward this field. I believe that too, that our, mm -hmm. uh, our personalities and our interests kind of drive us towards uh, occupations or 
leisure interests that allow us to give fuller expression to parts of us. So. I like that answer. Yeah, um, I think you're you're absolutely right. Most uh, folks in our psychologist field are driven initially uh, by desire to help other mm -hmm. people, but there's also um, that's not fundamentally different from somebody who wants to be a social right. worker or a medical doctor or a paramedic. R right, right, or firefighter, yeah, yeah, all kinds of different helping professions. Um, but what makes our field unique, I think, is that we have this innate curiosity uh, towards intellectually understanding human behavior and thought processes and not just the how but the why yeah. of, of the human experience. And I like how you talked about the developmental side of who we are, um, how we form our identity. Mm -hmm. I know that was a big part of your graduate research, and right. so I, I can see how that interest really drove you to psychology and to, to really your whole career path and what you're doing now with the ISR wing. But I, I want to dig into the, the elevator speech, who am I? Because right. it goes far beyond your just your roles or what you do. It's right. your sense of self. It's who you are as a person. So, I mean, what what do you advise people when they're trying to define who they are as a person? I think that um, identity is so important and I think it's important for us to have multiple strong healthy social identities right okay. so let me give you an example um, I, I think I always wanted to serve in the military um, I, and I, I approached recruiters at various times during high school and for one reason or another it kind of never took form for mm -hmm. me but in the back of my mind, I think uh, that's something that I identified with. I didn't have a family member who was, uh, who was a part of the military or anything like that, but I, uh, I was always sort of moving in that direction, I think. Hmm. Um, but there were other important identities for me. You know, I, I saw myself as a good student. I saw myself as a, a hungry kind of learner. Um, I was interested in relationships. You know, I, I knew I, uh, I had an identity as a sibling, as a son, all of these things. And for the most part, these were all strong, healthy, um, positive identities. And, and really the importance of that can't be overstated, right? Because there will come times in our lives when uh, one or more of our identities is gonna take a hit, mm -hmm. right? So if you um, have uh, sunk a lot of your identity into something, let's say uh, I'm an American Airman, right? If that's, if that's an important part of how you think about yourself, and then you um, are associated with something, you know, that's not so, uh, flattering, uh, mm. or, or maybe that casts that identity um, in a negative light. You can take a you can take a hit, and um, and that might persist for a little while. It might affect your mood. It might affect uh, how you approach people uh, and situations. And so, it's helpful if you have multiple strong identities to fall back mm. on during those times. You know, if your role as a relationship partner, uh, your role as a father or a mother. Uh, if those are strong, healthy identities, you're going to be far more resilient, a word that we use a lot, something that you can bounce back from. If you have a special interest that you can really kind of sink yourself into. If you're diversified. Yes. Yeah. You know, we are, a financial advisor will talk <laughs> to you about like diversifying, uh, diversifying your portfolio. Mm -hmm. uh, the same is really true with respect to identity. I, I really like that because I saw this when I worked in the clinic all the time with folks who are getting ready to separate from the Air Force. Right. They'd, they'd spent their entire career, I mean, post-adolescence, they graduate high school, they join the military, um, and then they spend their entire career, their life up to that point, identifying as an airman. And then now they're facing this um, 
huge existential crisis because they are losing a very important a part of their identity. Right. They're making the transition from airman to veteran, but they don't have any anything else that really speaks to them that they can fall back on. Well, yeah. And and I, I see this too. Sorry, I, oh, I, please, I, please, please. I just have a, a fall-on thought. Um, I think this happens to us not just in those big... Um, moments, but I think anytime our identity is threatened, um, that can then hit us really hard. It's kind of like what you're talking about when when something happens that uh, intercedes or, or intersects with that airman identity or, or that father or wife mm -hmm. identity. I know for me, um, so uh, I was previously married. I uh, got divorced. Part of my big identity was being a husband, right. and I lost that. And that was a really difficult time for me, but I had my, um, I was active duty at the time, I had that identity to fall back on. It actually threw me really strongly into that role um, and helped me maintain my resilience during that ordeal. I'm remarried now, and I'm a, I'm a, a husband and a father again, and so I've uh, not just added that piece of my identity back, but added a new one. Um, but this is something that constantly changes. I think that we need to be aware of um, not just when roles change, but when they can be challenged. Well, and to add on to that from a spiritual perspective, all of us are going through some form of journey. One famous author's past, Joseph Campbell, addressed it in the 1950s as the hero's journey, mm -hmm. that all myth, all religion, etc., is there to help us identify that we're on a journey, we're using narrative to figure out our identity. So. I'd suggest anyone, and I'm, this is going to turn to a question in a minute, Reed, but all of, uh, whether you're out there listening now or watching us on this video, if you're questioning what your identity is or going through one of those transitions, I'd challenge you, whether it's religious or myth or just a good fiction book, something mm -hmm. that is designed to show a journey and something you can identify with, it's easier through narrative to identify where you are and mm -hmm. find your identity than just putting it out on paper. So if I just write on paper, I am an American Airman, that's great, and this is what I'm gonna do. That's important and wonderful, but sometimes it, it's kinda hard to make concrete. Mm -hmm. Ironically, the way the brain seems to work is if you read stories, whether that's history of airmen who've been successful or just fiction, that story of the journey, you can then take this concept of being an airman and make it very concrete in your life because you know we hear these stories, whether it's history or fiction, and apply. So here's the question for you. All right. And this is not just a specific spiritual religious side, which is not what I'm addressing, but are there any stories that you've read, books that you've read that have been instrumental in helping you figure out what your identity is? Yeah, you know, I'm just going to go with the first thing that comes to my mind. Um, Susan Cain, uh, I've, I've talked to you about this book mm -hmm. before, writes a book, uh, and I'll butcher the title, so uh, you can all go look up this later on the Google webs, but uh, Susan Cain writes a book called Quiet, and the subtitle, I think, is something like uh, The Power of Introverts in mm -hmm. a World that Can't Seem to Shut Up or Stop Talking or hmm. something like that. Um, and I think... Uh, you know, she writes really powerfully using a lot of different case examples from evangelical preachers to Wall Street uh, brokers to attorneys, people who are very successful in their careers but who have kind of had to learn how to operate in an extrovert-dominated world. Right? Mm -hmm. These are more thoughtful individuals who tend to take a little bit more time to find their voice and tend to be a little bit more methodical about how they approach conversations. But they all went through something, and I, and I kind of resonate with uh, a lot of the themes in the book. Um, I think a lot during my adolescence, uh, I think being extroverted is just sort of an expectation, right? I, I think a lot of us 
who now identify as introverts may have struggled with being a lot feeling like they need to be a lot more outgoing than maybe we are more naturally. Mm. Now as an adult, I'm more comfortable in my own skin. I'm okay being that person in meetings who maybe hangs back, takes more mental notes and waits to speak. And I realize that my uh, extroverted brethren and sisters, they they think out loud. They process uh, by a different means and, and that's mm -hmm. okay. But, uh, you know, for th those a lot of times extroverts are the more visible models. And I think as you're growing up and developing your identity and you realize you can't, you can't quite process in the way that an introvert does or extrovert does, it may cause you to feel a little bit inferior. Yeah, less you know, than. Not, yeah, less than, right? Right, because the popular image is that extra, extroversion is the ideal. Right, absolutely. And, and because those are the people in the limelight. Those are our celebrities, those are our YouTube stars, those are all the, the people who we see and hear mo more frequently compared to the introverts. And so absolutely. the implicit message becomes, um, this is the ideal. This is what right. I should aspire to. And it's not necessarily the case. And really the only thing that differentiates introverts and extroverts is where they get their energy. Right. It's about um, whether you need more alone time or people time. Right. And so for you as an introvert, you need that alone time. You need Absolutely. to be able to sit with your thoughts and just decompress on your own. And if you're spending too much time with people like us, it's going <laughs> to drain you. Uh, whereas, <laughs> for, awkward, but. whereas for Jim, um, he loves talking to people. Sure. And, and that doesn't mean that you don't get sick of it sometimes or mm -hmm. you need that time alone at some point. But you would probably prefer to be out and about and with large groups of people doing fun things. I know you and your family go to concerts all the time. That's mm -hmm. probably invigorating for you. Mm -hmm. One thing I, I find interesting about you, Reed, is though you self-describe <laughs> as an introvert, you have a passion for karaoke. I do. I am so curious as to how that interest um, also curious was spawned and has developed, <laughs> especially in the context of you being an introvert. So, okay, again, I, I'm not sure how much... Uh, I see what you did there, trying mm -hmm. to, to bridge introversion to karaoke, which looks very... <laughs> um, I don't know, like an extroverted kind of life of the party activity. Uh -huh. um, you know, There's got to be a story there. Uh, sure, okay. <laughs> but I think a lot of us can uh, identify with, you know, singing in the shower or, you know, that sort of thing. So I like music, like a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I got introduced to karaoke in graduate school, okay. actually. And it was kind of a social thing that I did with some of my cohort members. And my advisor was really into karaoke. Um, but more than just kind of an activity, he built up a really um, he built up a really nice metaphor around karaoke, and uh, and uh, and essentially his point was karaoke. And I'm not a linguist, so I can't I can't tell you exactly what the meaning is uh, in Japanese. But essentially, it means empty orchestra, right? And so uh, the idea is that the person singing really fills up that empty orchestra. Right. Hmm. They they're producing the sound there, and, and to do so to fill up an you know what otherwise an orchestra would be producing you know some body of work some body of music takes quite a bit of effort. And his argument is karaoke like life uh, takes passion and commitment, right? Hmm. And and I think That's awesome. we approach or we should consider approaching uh, the things that we're interested in, the things that are important to us, with that that level of passion and commitment, the, the kind that it would really take to fill up time and space um, to really produce something that's either beautiful to, to listen to, in the case of karaoke, 
uh, or you know interesting to observe or you know producing a body of work that we can stand back at the, at some point in our lives and say you know I did that that was a you know that was something that I invested a lot of time energy and my heart in and it's you know it's something it's something great to observe uh, I will tell you though uh, uh, my set usually consists of like Neil Diamond and ACDC <laughs> nice. and uh, uh, Young MC, I think, is in there sometimes. So I'm very eclectic <laughs> and I'm a terrible singer. And I think that's beside the point. And I will put a plug in for uh, uh, the, we have a Friday karaoke group here, which I've actually never attended since getting here. But Miss Pride, <laughs> uh, our uh, graphics department uh, manager, she she actually asks me every once in a while when I'm going to come out. But uh, I put a plug in there for karaoke. I don't think that you need to be especially talented to do it. Uh, some people do spend quite a bit of time. I think it's just important to get out there and open your mouth and see what comes out sometimes. Okay, so um, let's see, one more. So this one, this one hopefully will be softball. So you've just moved from Germany. You've probably had to make some purchases, understand the move went pretty well. Uh, what purchase? Uh, yeah, what purchase of a hundred dollars or less has helped you the most in the last year? Uh, utensils. Utensils. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, if if anyone out there has recently PCSed uh, and uh, has kind of been through the ringer, that's that's the case with my family. Like we just lost a lot of stuff. So, um, and a lot of stuff was damaged. So. You know, it really has been the simple things. It has really been like plastic IKEA cups that have sort of kept my family afloat, or uh, you know, lawn furniture in the house. Uh, so, it, it's been interesting. Um, you know, you talk about books. I think books are good companions. Books uh, give us a, uh, and they're generally cheap. You know, you can uh, find them online in various formats. Um, um, uh, I'm struggling here with uh, what I've purchased. All right, we're gonna have to edit this as well. No, that's fine. We don't even need to. I think it's great. <laughs> like I, sometimes it's the basic things in life, whether it's a blank billboard mm -hmm. or, you know, to me thinking, you know, quiet is amazing too. Because our culture has given that message overall that being quiet, introverted, and a thinker, and maybe look, gravitating more towards the research, maybe this isn't as as good as some of these other things. That's just not true. We can be effective wherever we are and whoever we are. So sometimes those purchases that are the little things become mm -hmm. the big things. Like having a fork matters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, need it. yeah, to your point, I think that goes back to gratitude because mm -hmm. you probably didn't think that way about utensils when sure. you guys were living in Germany or at maybe previous uh, other assignments. But now not having those things, right. you, you see how big a role they play in your life. And so whatever else may be going on, that doesn't stress you out as much as not having a fork yeah. or like, you know, having a fork, but not having a spoon and trying to eat your cereal that way. Yeah. So a couple of times <laughs> you realize, you know, yeah. you, when you're kind of reduced uh, for lack of things, right? Some of the creature comforts that you like, you realize kind of what really is important. And, uh, and you realize that you can be resilient in the face of all that. Yes, I can eat my Cheerios with a fork. You know, I can get them onto each of the individual tines if I need it. And, but you got Cheerios. I got Cheerios, you know, for goodness sake. So um, <laughs> certainly someone's got it worse than I do. But yeah, you know, it's, it's difficult for me to think of something that I've purchased recently. Uh, we want to thank you for listening or watching to the, uh, the Pillars podcast, the podcast of the 363rd ISR Wing of the United States Air Force. I'm Chaplain Jim Bridgen. I'm Dr. Jerry Walker. And I'm Dr. Reed Reichwald. Until next time, we want to thank you for what you do for our nation. We know it's hard work, and we just hope you have a wonderful day.